We will get started here with our first of two panels. So this panel is all about what's happening in the world of advocacy surrounding audio description. So we have five panelists here with us, and we'll have them go down the line here, introduce themselves, who they are, what they do, and how or what roles they're performing uh, relevant to this discussion. And then we will get into their presentations. All right. So we'll just start at my left with you, Carl. Hi, my name is Carl Richardson. I am an ADA coordinator with the state of Massachusetts. But my role here today, I am the, act, uh, the chair of the working group to try to figure out a way how to create um, accessible um, listing for audio description for television and cable. And I'm working with Will Schell, Will Schell and Larry, who is also here on this table on that, and we're all working collaboratively together. Hi, um, my name is Will Schell. I'm an attorney at the Federal Communications Commission. We regulate the area of audio description on television. And um, as part of the Federal Communications Commission, we also operate a disability advisory committee. Um, there's a number of people sitting at the table who are on the disability advisory committee. It's a, the, the disability advisory committee at the FCC is specifically designed to receive feedback from experts in the field on uh, various disability-related issues. And um, as uh, Carl just mentioned, one of the issues that we are looking at right now is um, finding television listings that are audio described. And hi, good afternoon, everybody. I'm Tony Stevens. I am formerly the, uh, what was Clark's role at ACB, uh, but they couldn't get rid of me that easily. I, I still say, uh, stay very much engaged on the audio description project by way of being the FCC representative along with Claire Stanley. Some folks might know Claire, who's the alternate. Um, but yeah, but you know, we still work in a sense on a number of um, advocacy issues, which I'll be talking about in a little while, around uh, you know, sort of electronic communications. I'm Kim Charlson, president of CB, and I've been working on audio description advocacy for the last six years, very actively. Before that time, I was the chair of the audio description steering committee, and as Joel always says, in 2013, I got a promotion, so someone else had to help me, and that's where Dan Spoon came in, and he's now the chair. So. Um, I've been doing um, a lot of advocacy with Netflix, Hulu, and other streaming services, et cetera, and I'll be back in a little bit to talk more about that. Thank you. Uh, my name is Larry Walk. I am an Associate General Counsel at the National Association of Broadcasters. Um, and although NAB, we represent radio and TV stations, as you know, and although we're very engaged, with um, the DAC at the FCC and on audio description rules and policies and helping our members provide and, and know about the audio description requirements and their commitment. I'm actually not going to be talking about that today. I'm gonna to talk about a little bit about an outlier topic, kind of audio description, but without the capital A or the capital D, 
just the way broadcasters try to describe emergencies during their news segments in a manner that is the most useful and accurate and complete for um, persons who are blind or have low vision. So a little bit of an outlier topic, but still very important and critical. And if you have any questions about audio description, quote unquote, from broadcaster's point of view, I'm happy to respond to those also. Thank you. All right, thank you all. And let's get started here with Kim. I know she's mentioned two words that are you know, just some of our favorites in my household, Netflix and Hulu. Um, so Kim, all tell right, us thank more. You. Thank you, Clark. All right, just as um, a little bit of background, I'm not gonna talk too much about Netflix today, but just to remind everyone that back in 2016, ACB entered into a structured negotiation settlement with Netflix, and we worked with them over the course of the last couple years um, to bring their, their website, their app, and content with audio description. Um, do you remember the first show that they released with audio description? Was Daredevil back in 2016, I think it was. Might have been 15, I can't remember. Um, so that was the first show. Um, and now they've really taken off. Um, but we do continue to give them feedback. The settlement timeline has, has ended, but we do stay in contact with the, the legal team from Netflix. And when an issue comes up, when the, someone is having some kind of a major problem or there's issues surrounding the app not searching right or when you try to search with the app, the only thing that comes up is Swahili and no audio description or something like that. We um, were able to communicate with the attorneys and say there's a problem, can you work on this? And yes, we can talk to people who work at Netflix too and we have some very good relationships um, we seem to get, you know, the, the bigger problems that I would say fixed by still going through our legal channels and working collaboratively with the attorneys that were part of the case um, with Netflix. So if you do have an issue, don't hesitate to, um, to bring it to the attention of the audio description committee so that we can work on it. So Hulu. Um, after we finish Netflix, then there's always, you know, somebody says, oh, what's next? Which one's next? And so at that time, we decided that we would turn our attention to Hulu being um, one of the major services, a streaming service that people use. And there's a lot of content that is popular that people want to have access to. So um, last September, I spent um, an entire day in a federal courtroom in Boston with um, four Netflix attorneys and my four attorneys, and Brian was with me because this case is also um, partly under the auspices of the Bay State Council of the Blind um, because Massachusetts is a pretty favorable environment to file these kind of digital access cases. So. Um, we, we did have a settlement hearing, and we, you know, in and out, back and forth, all day long, yes, no, yes, no. And it was really a, an, um, an experience for me because I haven't ever done anything like that. So 
Um, I was able to, you know, I didn't get some of the things I wanted, but I was really able to hold their toes to the fire with respect to compliance. And I said, you know, because, because you're not going to be able to provide demand um, audio description, you know, live right now because of technical limitations, that I wanted to see our, our um, period of compliance be longer so that we can monitor you and make sure that things are going smoothly. So we have a monitoring period um, through 2021 with Hulu. So we'll be able to give a lot of feedback. Um, and if you visit the, um, the ADP website, you may have noticed that Hulu has already started providing audio described content. Um, it, the, the app is not accessible yet. They have said that they know the app is not accessible and is not working to find audio described content. Um, and that it is on their plan to have that fixed. Um, and their compliance period is the end of 2019. So they still have time, but they have put, at least last time I checked, 38 different programs or series on their website and you can find them on the website and access them that way, but you're not gonna be able, at this point, very successfully to be able to independently access Hulu content with audio description using the app. But that will be coming soon, and we will certainly let you know when there's something to, to test and to try. And we do need feedback, so um, if you are hopefully a subscriber to the ADP-list, on the ACB email lists, that would be a really good place for you to stay in communication, to find out what's going on, um, what are the, what's the latest news, that kind of thing. There's a lot of great information. And if you have a question, you can ask questions because it's a two-way dialogue. It's not just us posting out. You can ask questions too. There's, you know, I'm, I'm in Cincinnati and I'm watching, um, NCIS Los Angeles, but I don't have description tonight. Does anybody else? And you know, within 30 seconds, I swear, somebody somewhere is answering back, I'm in Miami and I have description tonight. So that, that's like one troubleshooting step. Okay, we figured it out. It's not the network, it's your local affiliate that's the problem. So then you know, okay, I need to talk to my local affiliate. There was a problem. So that helps a lot when you're doing that kind of troubleshooting. So, um, so that's basically where we are with Hulu. And then just one more thing. I can't say a lot about this right now, but um, you know, we don't let the grass you know, grow too high under our feet in ACB when there's more work to be done. So we have um, reached out to HBO and we are in discussion with HBO about accessibility of their services, including audio described content. And I hope that there will be some sort of an announcement by the end of July that you will all probably find very pleasing. And that's probably about all I can say at this point <laughs> on that one. So, but I think there is more to come and it'll be pretty positive. You can tell Kim has been hanging around those Hollywood and TV types too much. She keeps teasing us to get us to come back for more. So, uh, Tony, 
Will you talk with us about other advocacy avenues and examples in addition um, to what Kim provided and just also in just general, what can people do in terms of advocacy around audio description? Sure, thanks Clark. So what I'd like to do in the next few minutes is share a little bit about what ACB has been doing, some behind the scenes like Kim was mentioning, uh, but a lot in front of the scenes as well with the Disability Advisory Committee uh, and the FCC and, and, and a number of the, the partners and industry partners that we've been able to work with. Larry will dive into the weeds some on a very important thing that I'd like to think of as, as a seed being planted um, in, in larger opportunities down the road with how technology can leverage greater accessibility uh, and starting on a micro level with that. Um, that's very important when we talk about safety and emergency. But uh, in, in terms of where ACB currently sits in its relationships, because advocacy, and this is something to think of in this room, you know, my hope is that everybody here can be an advocate. It doesn't take that much energy to be an advocate. We, the first thing we did when we were born was we self-advocated, we screamed, right? So, you know, we, we, it's, it's innate in our nature to, to advocate, to speak out on behalf of ourselves, most importantly for survival, but advocate means to speak on behalf of someone else, right? Uh, it doesn't mean to yell or scream like when we're born and we belt out for air and food and, you know, but what it means though in a sense is just to be able to, be able to speak on behalf of others. So as we go before the Federal Communications Commission, as we work with, with industry partners and as we work in trying to to spread the gospel that is audio description or accessible electronic communications, not just in the broadcast or cable realm, but on the internet realm and on the mobile devices realm, and as you heard earlier, in terms of uh, engagement around new technologies and emerging technologies and how there is really this sense of, of convergence and integration of all technologies, uh, that, that we are just in a world where very soon it's not a lot of lifting to, to make it a world that the issues that we face as people who are blind or visually impaired are removed through technology, right? We're already at somewhat with that when you look at Exhibit Hall with what groups like IRA and ORCAM and others are doing. Exciting time for technology, an exciting time for the broadcast and cable industry and the internet and, and just the media in general with delivery systems changing and uh, the, the building in of, of digital media. I remember when I went to my first NAB conference in 1996 in Las Vegas, they were debuting this new digital television type thing, and it was all, you know, super futuristic in a sense, right? The, the idea that, uh, you know, the little wavy lines of television that were, you know, it was just an exciting time of change in the industry. Um, it's, it's the same time now, I think, in a lot of ways with just media in general and where we're at. Uh, we're very fortunate to have a solid relationship thanks in part to Eric Bridges and the work that Kim and others did around the Communication Video Accessibility Act of 2010 and getting that passed, but with the FCC stepping up to the plate and, and bringing together stakeholders to the table with the DAC. You know, Will uh, steps into a, a strong legacy of folks committed to bringing together advocates and industry leaders so that we can find real solutions, right? We're not just yelling, do this, do this, do this, but we're talking in ways that how can we do this? What's the most realistic way to do this so that we're not wasting valuable time just screaming into the darkness of the night, hoping something will get heard and then changed? What we're fortunate with, and we've seen this success pass through, are things like the 87.5 hours, 
which we pushed for and the commission passed and went into effect over the past year. Um, that was an, an existent, that was expanding from the 50 hours. And what's great about that is it, it, it moves into not just primetime television. But even then, when you look at how much, and I said this earlier today in the general session, when you look at how much is really described just within that 87.5 hours once a quarter, you know, for every quarter, four quarters in a year, I wish my seven-year-old was here. He could do that math much faster than myself. <laughs> but nevertheless, we have ourselves still at a very significant small portion that's mandated to be accessible for us. There are folks out there, though, that we've been working with that have really stepped up and worked towards making programming more accessible, right? There are networks out there, and, and uh, you know, we're currently filing comments. Clark has been working hard, and, and folks, and, uh, you know, in terms of other areas around uh, the rerun rules and things like that, to where there are networks out like USA Networks and others that are doing a lot more than 87.5, you know, 1,500, over 1,000 hours of programming. How can, we, how can we find creative ways and collaborate to get us to closer to where the deaf and hard of hearing community has been for some time with closed captioning? So that we're not held to just a few programs. We're extremely fortunate, thanks to the work that Kim has referenced, you know, in, in really opening the floodgates, in a sense, to the online world, to the Hulus and, um, you know, with Netflix and, and Amazon and others. Uh, many of whom, like Amazon, you know, we, we've, you know, have come to the table um, in, in good faith and, and have heard us and, and know the work we're doing and said, okay, we want to we wanna try to find a space that, that you, know, uh, you know, puts us ahead of the cart, so to speak, not so the cart gets ahead of us. So in that sense, advocacy, you know, in terms of how can it be effective and where have we seen some of that effectiveness, is it's kind of like if you've ever done a long bus ride, anybody ever taken a bus, the Greyhound? Um, I did a, a nonstop from Dallas to Los Angeles once. I have no idea why. But by the end of that run, it was all like we were family at the end, right? When you, when you work hard and slog through the minutia and, and through, go through New Mexico late at night and, and just really slug through it to get from point A to point B, and you're together with people who, who you probably wouldn't have walked with before or traveled with before, there's kind of a bond at the end. And, and it's, it's, it's over time relationships are built. And those relationships are the key, the key element in really finding successful compromise. If, if you have an issue that is a valid issue and is a value to the world in a sense of, you know, we are a share of a market, be it small or niche share, but, you know, where there are ways to be able to highlight that and, and identify the social good and, and sometimes even the economic good in that audience, it's an important part of any audience. You find yourself having these conversations that are, that are not antagonistic, you're not yelling, but you're talking, you're having conversations and discussions. And it's those discussions that lead, in a sense, to uh, I think the greater opportunities we've had. Um, I'm gonna pass it off to Larry in a second, who's gonna talk to one of those opportunities, you know, that, that has really been exciting. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll preface it with a caveat, because this is where in, in the emergency crawl space particularly, um, there's exciting opportunities that are, are in the horizon when it comes to technology and the way that we can augment sensory perception and that there are ways that, that we can um, think out of the box and be creative. Uh, if going back to the conversation about, it's not just like Dan Spoon said in the last session for those that were here, it's not just about sometimes describing a program on television, but how can the whole world be accessible? 
and it, it, in a sense, is starting through the entertainment, the media chain, because entertainment is things people want. And so, in a sense, the marketplace drives innovation and technology in that space, and then it can be applied in other areas and other technologies. Um, and so when we, when we look, in a sense, at where digital television is going and the opportunities for app development um, that can use artificial intelligence and other, other sort of deep learning, learning frameworks, as they're called, to, to better classify, identify, capture, and describe the world around us. Right? How, can it, how, can it, how can our lives be enriched by knowledge? I mean, we always say knowledge is power in the education sense, but also, too, just in the, in the, in the richness of life. Knowledge is not just power, but knowledge is beauty as well. And when we get more accessible programming, it not only shows us the power of life through, through knowledge of what we know, but it also shows us more of the beauty and makes life more valuable. So, and not to wax philosophy too much at that point, I think it's fair to say, though, that when we talk about these relationships that we build and when we do advocacy, when we work with Comcast, Universal, uh, and other folks and talking about how can we get, you know, more, it's open that envelope of greater opportunity for more and more descriptive television content. Um, or if it's working in, on smaller issues like emergency crawls and things like that. Um, it's all connected to uh, the importance that the idea, the fundamental idea since the Communications Act of 1934 was first signed into law that has sort of guided the hand of government through all this process over the decades and generations now, is that, you know, this is, this is in a sense a, a public space. You know, it's not just public through wires and bandwidth in the sky, but also too public when we go the next day to the water cooler at our office and we talk about what happened the day before on television. So my hope is that, you know, folks, you all have the power to advocate. You have access through your local chapters and through the national office to the folks up at these tables that are influencers and are folks that can help guide the hand of industry and guide the hand of government. Two hands that are like aircraft carriers. It may take a while to turn, but there are, there are powers within themselves that have great capacity and great opportunity. So encourage you to find the advocacy within yourself and don't be afraid to speak up on these issues. Somebody today even just brought up in passing just a very brief issue about something uh, that I think, I'll talk to you later about it, Kim, I think could be an excellent opportunity of really expanding the definition of ADA towards another type of web-based technology for audio. So you never know what little seed, the, the thing that Carl is working on came out of a resolution last year and doing an excellent job with the commission. And so the commission hears, industry hears, but they're only going to hear when we speak up, when we speak on behalf of others or on ourselves. So thanks. I'm going to pass it over to Larry now. Thank you, Tony. And this is where I squeeze in a quick shameless plug. To learn more about effective advocacy, join Claire Sandley and Clark Rockfall of the American Council of the Blind in the Convention Center Lilac South tomorrow, 1.15, for the second ACB Grassroots Advocacy Boot Camp. Thank you. Larry, back to our regular, regularly scheduled panel. That was uh, well done. Um, so, yeah, as I mentioned, um, thank you again for having me. This is my first visit to the ACB convention, and uh, it's a real privilege to be here. I'm enjoying it a lot. I, 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 I am going to take you on a little bit of a detour from the audio description uh, that Carl and, and, and Will are going to discuss more in detail and that you heard about on the previous panel from uh, Apple and Amazon and those companies. I want to talk a little bit more about 
the journalism that's involved in how broadcasters try to describe and discuss emergencies either um, during their newscasts or perhaps during a uh, regular scheduled programming break-in where the weatherman or someone else comes on and says, you know, we have weather condition or hurricane or something like that. And um, next slide, please. So I have a brief slide deck that I will read to you and, and, and you'll see in a few seconds why I bothered to have a, a PowerPoint uh, deck. This um, slide deck was originally prepared with the help of uh, Joel and also a gentleman named Josh Pila, who works for a TV station owner called Meredith Broadcasting. And uh, Josh and Tony presented this slide deck to a group of leading news directors and news producers at a conference in Baltimore of the RTDNA, which is Radio, Television, Digital News Association. It's an association of news directors and people like that. And the idea was to try to help educate these folks who in turn could filter it out through the broadcast TV industry, what they should be focusing on when it comes to describing weather or other emergencies during these break-ins, during programming, and, and things like that. Um, Yes, uh, yeah, it's no problem. It's, it, yeah, uh, I'm going to read the entire thing. It's only about eight slides. Okay. Very brief. Just text? Abs just text. Okay. Until the end, but you'll see why. Um, uh, the first slide was just a cover slide with my name on it. Um, no picture, sorry. The uh, second slide um, is just discussing why this matters, and it's aimed at news folks, why it should matter specifically news coverage of emergencies during newscasts and pro programming break-ins. Broadcasters want to reach the largest number of consumers possible. Uh, of course, there's millions and millions of blind and low-vision consumers who watch TV, and that population is, is growing as the population ages. And of course, there are also many other viewers who are just watching TV in a passive way while they're eating or playing on their phone or doing what have you. Who are, not who are not actually looking at the screen, and, but require a, an accurate description of what might be going on. Um, and we were trying to remind these news directors from industry that they need to focus on the graphics and other non-textual information that often provide redundancy, sometimes additional information, talking about maps, hurricane pathways, um, escape routes, things like that that they might put up on the screen, but they're not conscious of describing it in a way for someone who can't see the screen. Next slide, please. So our efforts have been to try to educate broadcasters to describe these on-screen visual elements in the most accurate, useful manner for um, blind and low vision consumers. And we have focused on three key elements. Um, trying to educate news directors to make sure that their uh, news segments or emergency break-ins are, are discussed in a concise way, specific way, and a descriptive manner, and that all the information on the screen is considered and prioritized. Um, journalism is, is challenging in a general, you know, just as a general matter, and um, we're trying to help industry um, improve their journalism for all segments of, of their community. 
Um, and most importantly, and with one of the things that we've really learned from Tony and working with other folks um, from the advocacy, com advocacy community is to try to avoid clutter and superfluous information when they're describing an emergency situation. Um, next slide, please. So uh, just focusing on the concise element, um, we are trying to get broadcasters to pay more attention to provide relevant, informative journalism for all members of their community to make every word count. So for example, quote, the building is shaped like a rectangle versus the rectangular building. Or to try to avoid cluttering what you're hearing with unnecessary terms or phrases. For example, someone should, the, the broadcaster has to avoid coming on and saying, as you can see, things like that that can just distract or they're superfluous or irrelevant. Um, and trying to avoid distracting the viewer from the critical elements that they're trying to describe about an emergency situation. So don't, don't tell your news people, don't ad lib about people they see in the background of a shot if it's not important to what the viewer needs to know. If there's a hurricane coming or flooding, like we had in DC yesterday or, or what have you, you know, give people what they need and, and no more than that. Next slide, please. Next slide is just entitled, you know, be specific. Try to use focused, specific language. For example, uh, rain in the Northwest versus rain near Chattanooga. The latter is gonna be more helpful to people. The fire is here or is there versus the fire is 100 yards north of the whatever. I can imagine that people get very frustrated when you're watching TV and people are using words like over here, or that's over there, and you don't know what they're talking about. And so we're trying to do what we can to educate these folks to um, filter through the industry better, better practices on this. Um, Quote, avoid this area or avoid the FDR bridge area. If they're just saying avoid this area and pointing at a picture on the screen, naturally it doesn't do any good. And these are things that broadcasters have made great strides in focusing on and trying to do a better job of, but um, we're just really trying to ingrain it even more into their everyday practice. Next slide, please. Uh, the last key element was you know, to be descriptive, to be illustrative try to use descriptions that paint the picture. So for example, don't say the road goes, say the road curves slightly to the left or the right. Don't say traffic is heavy or traffic is at a standstill. Say traffic is moving at an estimated 10 miles per hour. Something that gives the reader, the viewer, you know, helpful information. Don't say heavy snow near Rochester, maybe say heavy snow approaching from the east of Rochester and reach the city center by. These are just things that they need to be more conscious of and, and, and improve upon, and we're trying to do what we can to uh, get broadcasters to focus on that. So I actually have a couple of video examples. So for example, pretend you're sitting at home and you're watching TV, and there's a news break-in, and um, these are mock examples that Josh Pila from Meredith had, one of his stations, prepare. They just you know, on their lunch break, produce some fake short news segments. So this first uh, example, um, a weatherman is gonna come on and, and um, do about 35 seconds on the projected path of a hurricane. And I'm sure all of you, much better than I, will identify 
the failings in it. I mean, they tried to do a decent job, but there are definitely rooms for improvement. And then we have a second version of the same thing, which is a little bit longer, which is a, uh, an effort to, uh, <clears throat> to do a better job at describing the uh, hurricane's projected path. I'm sure folks in the audience will still have problems with it, but it, it was uh, an effort to improve. And um, so anyway, could you click on the first top link, please? Hi folks, I'm meteorologist Matt Barenton. We just got our latest forecast track for Hurricane X and this one is going to be very bad for our area. The impacts are going to be high over the next four to five days. We expect it to move through into the Gulf Coast and right now we are right dead center of the track with possibility of seeing a Category 3 storm. So this is really the time that you need to be making all your preparations and even thinking about evacuating if that's called for in your area. Of course, we have more on this for you as we go through the next several days and tracking this storm as it heads towards our area. Okay, all right. Now you'll see the, the um, if you go back to the slide deck, then they went back, they thought about how they could improve it, and um, they tried to, uh, you know, give a better, better, better example, which is hopeful. hopefully, it's not perfect, but hopefully better and almost there. <laughs> so the second link. Hi folks, I'm meteorologist Matt Barenton. We just got our latest forecast in for Hurricane X and it's likely to be pretty bad for our area. As right now it's directly in the central Gulf and then it's gonna be moving off to the north uh, directly towards our area as it crosses across the Gulf and into likely Mobile County, but as far east as possibly as Panama Sea, as far west as Biloxi. But once again, Mobile County is in the center of this path as the storm moves northward. Uh, the, right now, the forecast from the National Hurricane Center is for this storm to make landfall with winds of 125 miles an hour. That is a category three storm on Saturday afternoon around four o'clock. So this is what we need to be prepared for. A very strong system working its way through the Gulf towards our area as we head towards the weekend. Right now you need to be taking all your precautions and if you're in a low-lying area we're going to be looking at the possibility of some evacuations here coming up within the next 24 to 48 hours. So be listening out for those as well. Of course we'll have more updates here on Fox 10 News as Hurricane X gets closer and we'll be riding through the storm with you here along the Gulf Coast. I'm meteorologist Matt Barentine. We'll check in with you later with more details on Hurricane X. Okay, next slide, please. But you could, you could hear and, and see in that one that he did give much more specificity about where the hurricane was coming from, where it was going, how fast it was going, um, when people should expect to maybe uh, experience landfall, and uh, tried to be more descriptive and more complete. And um, like I said, nothing's perfect. But they are, we're, we're working with industry and news directors to help them be more conscious. It, it can be a, you know, there's a time element factor. If there's a hurricane coming at your area, they're breaking into news. They're doing their best to, uh, to give you the information they need, but they have, to be, they have to remember to be conscious of not giving too much information, but giving enough information, more specificity, more accuracy. So I have just one more brief example, I'm sorry for dominating the microphone. Actually, I, th I think we'll, we'll skip the second okay, example that's fine. just due to time, but thank yeah. you so much for sharing sure. 
those two. Okay. Larry. So in, in the interest of time and in being specific, Will, I will not ask you to shorten your comments, but if you could please provide them in you know, one minute or less. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but, Very good. But uh, you know, five, five or less yeah. so that we have time for Carl as well and hopefully some questions. Of course. And when are we finishing here? Seven o'clock? Is that when we're going? Um, <laughs> no, that is not a problem at all. In fact, um, I, most of what I would have to say has already been said by uh, Tony and uh, Kim and um, I actually I found that demonstration um, from Larry to be really informative. I think that kind of uh, stuff can be very hard to kind of nail down and appreciate those uh, efforts. Let me just reiterate some things that Tony said already <coughs> about <coughs> government ac uh, advocacy. So I work for the FCC, uh, I've already said, and advocacy for the government is a strange, um, a, a strange type of advocacy, right? When we, uh, and, and I was a, an advocate in uh, jobs past, I could be more of a forward advocate in jobs past, um, now I'm a government uh, employee and I have to be neutral on, on, on many things. In order to change the government, in order to change rules, in or which will then have effect on the larger industry, it is a long, methodical, steady, consistent, hitting those issues over and over and over again. Just simply letting the government know, I like audio description, I find it valuable. That is information that then can be used to continue to march forward towards whatever, whatever the goal is. In this case, audio description. Um, if we get no comments, right, if there's an open question and we receive no comments or very few comments that say, I find audio description to be valuable or my children watch audio described programming and so on, if we don't get those, it doesn't exist. The government doesn't know it exists. So it's actually a very interesting situation where without written comments back saying this is what we find valuable or this is what we would like to see, doesn't exist. There was a couple of questions from Joel Snyder that I wanted to just kind of um, uh, address a little bit. Um, so there was, a, and, and um, Eric had mentioned the CVAA 2.0. And really what I think they both uh, uh, kind of are talking about, uh, Joel Snyder was asking questions about online streaming um, uh, coverage. Right now, the FCC doesn't really have any um, jurisdictional uh, rules around streaming. Um, companies like Netflix and Amazon are doing an excellent job with audio description. Other companies are getting on board either through uh, advocacy, more, uh, more direct advocacy, or, um, or because they're finding that there's an audience there or, or whatever. So the FCC doesn't have any rules regarding streaming services. And let me just give an example very quickly about how this is actually complicated. So in order to get to the CVAA 2.0, right, to update the CVAA to cover things like streaming services, you run into the problem of the history, right? So right now, the rules define uh, MVPDs. MVPDs are multi-channel video distribution, uh, no, programming, video, 
multi-channel video programming distributor, something like that. No one knows what they are. <laughs> They're cable companies. <laughs> They're cable companies. They're traditional cable and satellite services. They are, they are a collection of multiple channels that are then distributed via, we'll just use the easy one, Comcast. Comcast is a multi-channel video distribution, distribution service. Um, it, it's, it's a collection of multiple channels. Now, Netflix is not an MVPD under the definition because under the definition, the definition was created before online streaming existed. So Comcast is one, Netflix is not one. But are the new uh, services um, that look more like traditional cable services but are offered virtually through the internet are those MVPDs? And it gets complicated because we live and die by the specificities of these rules. So I'll just say streaming services, virtual MVPDs, that's like Sling TV, YouTube TV. These are where you can get you know, ESPN in a cable package, but you don't have a cable coming into your house from that company. Um, none of those are covered right now. We have open questions on all of these things. And in fact, um, there's, there's a open question on, um, the FCC has put out a question saying to the public, what do you think about these things? What do you think about virtual cable companies? And what do you think about streaming services? And what do you think about video programming distributed over the internet? They're gonna write up what people's responses were and then they're gonna send that report to Congress, and Congress is gonna then see what the report says, and then they'll make the next decisions, and possibly CVAA 2.0 will come out of it, possibly not. So um, that's really the bulk of my, what I wanted to kind of hit, and I'll just keep passing it on, and of course I'll be here um, to, to talk more with people after the, after the thing's over. Great, thank you, Will. And Carl, it's never fun going last. We only have a couple minutes here before the next panel starts. Okay. But if you could please share with us. So I'll try to be very brief. Thank Essentially, you. what is important if you get anything out of today is that we need to hear from the community and you need to advocate. Because on my role on the FCC Disability Advisory Committee, I often hear from industry saying, well, we haven't heard that from the community. So you need to let them know what your issues and concerns are. And you need to advocate because as Will and several others have said, the industry's changing fast. Um, we had a previous panel with many cable providers and multi-channel distributors before. What they didn't say is that in the first quarter of 2019, 1.1 million people cut the cord, which means they're gonna find other ways to distribute that content, which the CVAA doesn't currently cover. However, even though Will said it doesn't cover, the deaf community made sure that their captions, if it's ever on broadcast, followed them to any online streaming. So there is some precedent that we can follow, but they need to hear from us and we need to advocate. And you need to let the American Council for the Blind, the National Association for the Blind, the FCC know what your concerns are so that that, that can be heard and become part of the congressional record and then help us inform what direction CBA 2.0 can go. I'll just talk about real quick about 
the one of the projects that Will, I, Larry, Tony are all working on. Um, it's called Accessible. It's an accessible work and listening group. As under the CBA, we have nine channels that are required to create. Um, how many hours again? Eighty-seven and a half hours per quarter. How many of you know off the top of your head which of the nine channels have to create the audio description? Okay. How many of you know which night of the week what show is on an audio described? Okay. And how many of you know where to go to look for that? Okay. You just answered my question. We are trying to figure out a way that we create a centralized listing so that you have one place to go to to know what is on when in an accessible format. Wouldn't you like to see that? So that, that's one of the things we're working on. Both sides have their concerns. We're trying to find a reasonable solution for both sides and, and compromise on both sides, to be honest. But we're trying to, we all want to do the right thing for the, the blind and visually impaired community and for all others. I personally think audio description benefit many beyond the blind community. So, but the main focus is, is to advocate and pay attention to what's going on because the, things are changing fast. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. And because there is another panel that's coming up uh, immediately after this one, we won't have time for questions, unfortunately. But everyone who's here is, is available and can be put in contact with everyone in the room. If you have audio description issues that you need help with, please reach out to advocacy at acb.org. And it's through that direct advocacy that, as Kim stated, streaming companies are carrying audio description. And because of that direct advocacy, and like Will said, the FCC receiving those comments, um, that we are collaborating with the National Association of Broadcasters to have um, effective and specific emergency alerts and information. And as Carl said, to have accessible guides for video described content but wait there's more because of comments that acb filed recently with the deaf and hard of hearing community on the importance of audio description and closed captioning to children's educational programming i just received an email about an hour ago saying that an fcc commissioner would like to receive specific examples of how described and closed captions children's educational content benefits children. And this is for an open meeting tomorrow. So a question I have, and I'd like to talk to anyone in the room, if you or you know someone who is a sighted parent or parents or guardian of a blind or visually impaired child with experience of using audio description with your child, I would love to hear your story and share it with the Federal Communications Commission. Because like Will said, if they don't hear it, it doesn't exist. So again, thank you everyone for joining us and please stay for the next panel. <laughs>